Hello? Is this thing on? Oh, good. Hey, it's Clark Covington here, and this is the first episode of Transformation. What is transformation? I'm glad you thought about that because I've been wondering myself. I've been thinking a lot about how people transform from one set of ideas, one set of circumstances, one set of um, beliefs, something totally different. How, in a way, people can be transformed without a lot of effort. I mean, just submitting to God, just accepting Jesus, and all of a sudden, their lives transform into something totally different. Other things in our lives take so much effort, you know, to eat right or to work out or to be nice to the person that drives you crazy or to go to work every day or go to school every day. It takes a lot of effort to continue to do things like that. Yet when transformation occurs, we go from the old to the new seemingly um, without a lot of doing anything ourselves. It's all God. So I wanted to know more about the people walking this earth that have been transformed. I want to know more about how their life was before they were transformed and how it is now after. And that's what this podcast is about. Stories from people that have been transformed. That's why I called it transformation. I know it's pretty simple, huh? So our first guest today is Michael Rote, pastor of Glorybound Baptist Church. My wife and I attend Glorybound Baptist Church. And Preacher Mike, as we like to call him, has been a a big influence on me spiritually, and I thought he'd be great to kick this uh, podcast off. So listen, listen to Preacher Mike tell his story about how he was transformed by Jesus Christ at a young age, and how he was pulled back into popular culture for a little bit, and then re-upped his game to new heights to a level that's pretty phenomenal uh, when it comes to having faith and he shares a lot of details great stories and uh, things that are only attributable really to um, God so you just have to listen without further ado here is my interview with Pastor Michael Rote of Glorybound Baptist Church you're listening to Transformation here with Michael Rote uh, tell me uh, about yourself, Mike. Uh, well, I'm pastor of Doorbound Baptist Church in Kings Mountain, North Carolina, uh, and I'm married and I have two children. And uh, God's really blessed me and using me in a mighty way. Okay, great. And um, on transformation, we're going to talk about your salvation. But let's start before you got saved. Tell me a little bit about your life before you got saved. Okay. Uh, well, I got saved at a young age. Um, a lot of people, I got saved when I was five years old. And a lot of people don't think somebody at five years old can understand about salvation, understand right from wrong, and understand that you need a Savior. And I, But I did, and it's because I was brought up uh, in a, in a Bible-believing church. Uh, but before I got saved, um, really my family wasn't in church uh, okay. at the time. Uh, my, my parents and myself and my brother uh, we lived with my grandparents. Uh, they had a house in town in Kings Mountain, and uh, they kind of converted the garage uh, into a bedroom for my parents. And me and my brother had a bedroom in the house, and so uh, that was, you know, different. Uh, and like I said, we really wasn't in church, but it wasn't long after that my, my grandpa had gotten saved, 
And, uh, and then uh, Wayne Reese, preacher Wayne Reese, he was a pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church at the time, came by and knocked on our door, invited us, our family to church. And so we started going. Actually, I started uh, riding on the bus uh, to the church. And, and do you remember what life was like before you got saved? I do. It was, as far as like the relationship that my parents had, I can vaguely remember some things. Um, but I think that if there was any negative things, it was kind of sheltered. You know, we were sheltered from it. Uh, you know, life was pretty good. Uh, I, I, of course, I loved living with my grandparents. You know, they babied me and gave me what I wanted uh, when I was little and living at their house. Uh, but I remember very vividly how things were once we started really going to church and was getting faithful into the house of God. Okay, so you started by taking a bus. That means that they weren't going, or who was uh, going? I think the first couple of Sundays, I don't think they were going. I think maybe they, my, my parents, especially my grandparents, I think they started maybe a few weeks afterward. Uh, but once they started going, I still continued to ride the bus to church because I like riding on the bus with all the other kids. Okay. And uh, what church were you going to? Uh, it was uh, Manual Baptist Church in Kings Mountain. It was in a little storefront building then. Okay. And so tell me a little bit about that church. Um, it sat up on top of a hill. Uh, it's strange that that particular building uh, all my life has either been a church building or a bar, <laughs> one or the other. It's a rental property. And, uh, but at that time, uh, it, was a, it was a church just starting out, and it was a brand-new church in Kings Mountain. And uh, very small, uh, but it, the Lord really blessed, and it started growing. It started growing you know, pretty rapidly, and uh, they had a Christian school. Uh, of course, I was too young to attend the Christian school at the time, uh, but uh, they had a bus ministry, and it started out with the pastor's car, and then ended up growing to uh, a bus, and then they ended up getting, I think, two or three buses and a van, uh, and eventually the church raised the money and bought land debt-free, built a building debt-free, uh, but it was, you know, the first experience I ever had was with church and learning about the Lord, being challenged and learning Bible verses, and uh, ever since then, but way back then, that's played a big role in my life. So it influenced you, but at that time you weren't saved yet. Not yet. Because you were five. Yeah. I was like four years old when we four started going. Yeah. So what happened to get you to the point of salvation? Uh, my Sunday school teacher, uh, Carolyn Kirkendall, okay. uh, she had challenged uh, the, the children in our class to learn John 3.16. And the first first kid in the class that could learn John 3.16, she was going to give them $5. Okay. And so I was real excited about, you know, getting $5. You know, $5 is a lot of money to a four or five-year-old kid. Yeah. And uh, so I went home, and my, my grandparents and my parents were really good about, you know, working with me on studying and learning different things. And uh, could, could you read at five? No. No. <laughs> okay. I hadn't started school yet, so I, okay. I, I didn't, you know, couldn't read. Uh, but they would read it to me, and then I would quote it back to them, you know, repeat it back to them. And we did that enough every night that the following Sunday, I was able to go to church and, uh, and quote the verse. Now, it was so long ago, I can't remember if I won the $5 or not. Okay. I think that I did, but I'm, I'm not sure. Right. But through all of that, I heard John 3.16 so much that I, I began to understand because it was this is how the Lord works. As that was happening, it seemed like that every Sunday, you know, the Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night service, that the preacher was preaching about salvation. And what I was learning in my Sunday school class, along with learning that verse, I began to realize you know, that, I, that I'm a sinner and, you know, that I needed a Savior. And I, I knew the difference between right and wrong. I had a good family that taught me the difference between right and wrong. And uh, I began to understand what the verse meant. And uh, I remember it wasn't on that particular Sunday when the preacher gave the altar call. I didn't go to the altar 
uh, then. But I was under conviction. I, I Of course, at five years old, I didn't know what conviction meant. But right. I know now that I was under conviction. You had a feeling. Yeah, I had that feeling in my heart that I needed to get saved. And uh, I remember going home, and I think it was on that Monday evening, Monday or Tuesday evening, we were sitting at the dinner table. And I remember I looked at my grandpa, and I said, Papa, I want to be saved. And uh, it kind of shocked everybody at the table. Everybody kind of got mm-hmm. quiet at the table. So you actually said that? Yeah, I just yeah. come right out. I just, just out of you know, just out of the blue, I just set my fork down on my plate, and I looked at my grandpa, and I said, Papa, I want to be saved. Okay. And my, who, who was at the table? Do you remember? I, it, was, it was my grandparents and uh, my mom and dad and, uh, and me and my brother. My brother, I think, was probably like two, maybe three years old at the time, so he right. wouldn't remember any of this. And then your parents, were they, they weren't in church yet, right? No, I don't think they were going at the okay. time. Okay. Uh, my grandparents were. I think they probably visited a few times, but okay. they really wasn't set yet and going. Um, they were both saved, but you know, kind right. of actually they've kind of okay. kind of grown cold on the Lord. So there, it wasn't like people were urging you to say that. No, or the conversation was around that. You just said it. Yeah, just said it. And uh, I remember my grandpa. I don't think he first knew exactly what to do. And uh, we finished dinner, and then it was maybe a little after dinner. He come to my bedroom where I was at. And he started talking to me, and I guess through the conversation, he realized I knew exactly what I was meaning. You know, I knew what I meant when I said I want to be saved. And so in my in my bedroom, I had a, a giant stuffed panda bear that sat over in the corner of my room, and I remember sitting down on the lap of that panda bear, and my grandpa sitting down there with me with his Bible, and he took me down the Romans road and uh, and read the verses to me out of the Book of Romans and explained them to me, and I understood them, and uh, and I understood that. You know, understood the gospel message of death to bear on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how he, he paid it all, all and he paid the price for sin. He's the only way to heaven. And what he did was, you know, the payment for my sin. And uh, so I remember right then I prayed and I put my faith and my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and I got saved and I was five years old. And have you ever kind of gone back on the Lord since then? Uh, yeah, as I got a little bit older, probably around... 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. Well, yeah, probably about 10 to 14 years old. I kind of got where I didn't really care about church. Okay. I will say that from the time I was about five to about eight or nine, I loved going to church. And, right. I uh, loved going to church with my grandparents. And uh, I remember I won my first person to the Lord when I was in the second grade. <laughs> okay. Uh, All yeah, right. Uh, I remember uh, my grandparents, they were tickled to death about was it Carowinds, right? At, I think, you know, maybe a couple weeks after I'd gotten saved and I was witnessing to a preacher in line at one of the rides there at okay. Carowinds. Uh, but I won one of my friends to the Lord at school uh, when I was in second grade out on the playground. And uh, we went to high school together, and I asked him about it when we was in high school. He remembered, and he said, oh, yeah, absolutely, I remember. He said, that's when I got saved. So that was a blessing. But, yeah, there was a time when I got older. I got tell, more. Yeah, tell me a little bit about that time. What, what was pulling you away? Uh, playing baseball. I okay. started playing baseball when I was five, you know, T-ball. And, and for people that aren't here in North Carolina, what, what's baseball like here? Uh, around Kings Mountain, baseball and football, man, that's that's a big deal. Uh, football, of course, a big deal with school, you know, in the schools. But uh, City League Baseball, you know, the it used to be with the uh, Parks and Recreation Center. Kings Mountain, now it's the YMCA, but baseball is a big deal. I mean, I got to a point where I played baseball pretty much year-round from the end of February till the end of November. Uh, and then I got to where I was getting in some travel leagues, playing in, in South Carolina and different places in North Carolina. What position did you play? Started out playing shortstop, uh, but then I got to where I uh, went quite as fast as I needed to be play short. So I played, they moved me over to third base, and that was kind of my home. Okay. 
And so you played baseball. You were said about thirteen years old. Yeah. So you're thirteen. You're playing baseball. Were you any good? Uh, well, I tried to stay humble, but yeah, I think I was pretty good. Uh, at thirteen, I had already played in a couple All Star tournaments and had already been on the state championship team. And uh, that was the year that I started uh, playing in the fall for a Baltimore Orioles scout. Okay. Uh, that's like that's uh, he's actually a part time scout, and he's from the Kings Mountain area. And you were how old? Uh, thirteen. Okay, so thirteen years old, playing baseball, having success. That seems like something you're going to carry out through high school and either play in college or the pros since they draft a lot of high school kids. And that's that's got to be pretty intoxicating. How did you end up here being the preacher of a church? Well, uh, like I said, I, I played ball for that Baltimore Orioles scout, and it got to the point to where I. And did the scout feel like you were good? Yeah, uh, we were. You know, he basically the first time he met me, he told he walked up to my dad and didn't realize that. You know, my dad was one of the assistant coaches on our team at the time. He didn't realize that was my dad. And when he walked up, he said, "Man, he said that kid playing shortstop's real pretty." And he went, of course, he wasn't talking about my looks. He was, you know, talking about just the, the fundamentals I had. And uh, uh, you know, he he had told me that uh, as far as my hands, as far as my glove work and stuff in the field, that he at my age was one of the best that he had seen. Uh, and your dad was a coach too. Yeah, right? my dad was one of the was one of the assistant coaches on the team. Okay, and so you know, pretty much we lived and breathed baseball at my house. I mean, right? You know, if I didn't have a ball or a glove or a bat in my hand, I was sleeping. Yeah, and at that age, it's almost like your identity. I yeah, mean, it's, it's, baseball was life. Yeah, for me at right. that age. Okay, and uh, I had opportunity to uh, play in front of some scouts, uh, New York Yankees scout, which was big deal for me because I'm a Yankees fan. Yep, and, go Yankees. Uh, yeah, absolutely, and. Uh, Half a game out of first round. That's right. Too. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but now I got to play in front of a Yankee scout, a Cincinnati Red scout, and a St. Louis Cardinal scout in a tournament in South Carolina. I was the youngest guy in the tournament. Uh, I was a freshman in high school, or was fixing to be a freshman in high school, and I was playing against some guys that were already in college. And, uh, you know, I had some success during that tournament and uh, did really well. Uh, but I was playing in an all star tournament. Uh, after my freshman year, that, okay. that summer after my freshman year, I was playing in an all-star tournament. And um, if we'd have won one more game in that tournament, we'd have been heading down towards the beach to play in the state tournament. And uh, I was all excited about that because I'd already been on one state championship team and was really excited about the opportunity to possibly be on another. And uh, I was you, playing. You got along with the other players? Oh, and... yeah. we Most of the guys that was on the team, uh, some, most of them was from Kings Mountain. That was some from Bessemer City. Uh yeah, it was Kings Mountain, Bessemer City. And we'd all either had played against each other uh, for several years and had been on sim, you know, same teams along with one another, different all-star teams and stuff. So we all knew each other real well. And, so it was like almost like family. Oh, absolutely. I mean, right. seeing these guys, you know, three, four days a week for nine, ten months out of the year, yeah, it's guys I hung around with all the time. So. Okay. Okay, so you're at the all-star game after your freshman year, right? right? And what happens? Um well, I was playing some of the best ball I think I've ever played. My my batting average for the for that particular series was 750, which is extremely high uh, in a series like that. I was playing some of the best ball I ever played. I didn't have any errors in the field, and uh, but something happened. And it was like, and I'm not bragging on myself or anything, but I was playing really really well. Right. Uh, but it was like a lot of the guys that was on the team for some reason they hit a slump with their hitting, and they wasn't hitting, so we wasn't scoring runs. Right. And uh, so we ended up losing. What I didn't know, and probably was the only time in my life that my grandparents were praying for me to lose a ball game. Because okay. what I didn't know at the time was that they had already paid 
uh, for me and my brother both to go to a youth camp with our church that we was going to. We were going to uh, Bright Light Baptist Church in Bessemer City at the time. Okay. And for those that don't know what youth camp is for when in the church context, what is youth camp? What is uh, it's pretty much uh, so like vacation Bible school or uh, well you say like vacation Bible school is kind of like vacation Bible school on steroids. <laughs> okay, uh, uh, you get away from everything. Yeah. Uh, you know, we we went uh, to Lake James up in the mountains outside of uh, Marion. North Carolina, and um, uh, what it is, you just get alone from, uh, alone with God out in the woods. It you know, there's there was no cell phones, there's no, really no electronics. Okay, uh, we had cabins. Girls had cabins on one side of the camp. The boys had cabins on the other side of the camp. We had church service in the morning, mm-hmm. and then there would be uh, swimming and other activities through the day, and then we'd have a, a big service at night. And okay. uh, but for a baseball player, uh, yeah, no I didn't want to go. There. Yeah, no, no, I didn't want to go. I mean, that was some fishing. You know? Right, I sure, liked, sure. I like to fish, and there were sure. girls there. So okay, I, right. I made my mind up. Fifteen years old, if I got to be stuck in this place for a week, I right. might as well talk to some girls. Yeah, I'm up here. So yeah. that's what I had in my mind when I went to camp. Was okay. hey, I'm gonna talk to some girls. <laughs> okay, all right. So they had paid for the camp, but if you had won, you wouldn't have been able to go to the camp, right? Right. Okay, so you lose, which was a surprise, right? Right. Yeah, I was shocked. People I was devastated. Something. Okay, so then. Were you forced to go to the camp? Or, uh, explain that to me. No, I wasn't forced to go to camp, but it was kind of, I didn't really want to go. I'd rather went to the tournament, but right. it didn't work out. And uh, so I kind of figured, well, my grandparents already paid for it, and I've got nothing else to do this summer. I might as well, this opportunity for me to go swimming, fishing, and talk to girls. Okay. Know, I, didn't, wouldn't even, I could have cared less about the church services. I, oh, okay. All I right. just had my mind set on the activities. Yeah. Right, girls. So average kind of teenager, just yeah. right. Okay. So you so you said, okay, what the heck, I'll go, right. and you go up there, and what happened? Uh, well, on the way up there, brother Andy, he's pastor of uh, God Can Baptist Church in Bessemer City now, but he was my youth pastor then, and uh, I really didn't have much to do with brother Andy or the youth group then. You know, but you were going to church. But I was going to church. So you were going to church, but you didn't feel that involved. Or you didn't no, really matter involved. of fact, I would uh, I would lie to my grandparents and to Brother Andy, my youth pastor, about Sunday school. We would get to church for Sunday school, and when we'd be dismissed from Sunday school assembly to go to our classes, I would go downstairs like I was going to the Sunday school class, but instead of taking a left to go to the Sunday school class, I'd go right out the back door and hang out in the parking lot. And uh, <laughs> so I'd tell my grandparents I went to Sunday school, and then when Brother Andy would come up to me and ask me how come I went to Sunday school, I'd tell him I wasn't feeling good. Okay. Uh, so I really wasn't, really didn't have a closer relationship with anybody in our youth group. Yeah, you're just going through the motions. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Pretty much. And uh, so when we got up there, on the way up there, I was one of the ringleaders in the back of the church van throwing spitballs at the back of Brother Andy's bald head on the church right. van because I didn't really want to go. Uh, but when we got up there, uh, the very first service, and the Lord started dealing with my heart. Okay. And uh, and I remember that very first evening service, man, it was just Lord was all over me. I couldn't help it. I went down to the altar, and uh, I believe that at that time the Lord was really breaking my heart, and and I was getting some maybe some unconfessed sin in my life off my chest, and uh, I began to realize that how much I had kind of drifted far off from the Lord, even as a teenager. You know, I'd been raised in church all my life and heard preaching all my life, and and I knew better, you right. know? but I kind of got my priorities out of order, and that's easy for a teenager. It's easy for an adult. To do that, get their priorities out of order. And and did you feel like the culture was kind of pulling you to away from church? Absolutely. Uh, the, the baseball culture or the school culture or whatever it is that's saying, "Hey, don't worry about that." Absolutely. I mean, my parents wasn't in church then either. It was kind of like the 
the, the baseball deal kind of wrapped up all of our lives. My, my grandparents was going to church. I mean, my grandpa and grandma, they were youth leaders in the church we were going to when I was younger. Right. And, uh, and I knew if I spent the night with them, I had to go to church, you know, so I, I was in it and I, and I enjoyed it while I was there, but it really wasn't priority number one. And by that time you were living away from your grandparents' house? Then? Yeah, we were, we were with my parents and, and so I would so, spend the night with them on the weekends, my right. grandparents. So maybe it was easier to not be involved because you weren't living with people that were going to church. Right. I didn't yeah. have that strong influence constantly okay. on me throughout the week, just okay. on the weekends, pretty much just on Saturday evening and on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was up there at camp, like I said, the, the first service, that first morning service was good. That first evening service, though, the Lord really started getting a hold of my heart. And I, re- I remember uh, that I kind of tried to shake it the next day, you know, and kind of yeah, tried to p- just paint put my a picture. mind on uh, fishing and things like that. Like paint a picture for me. So you're in like a cabin? Are you in a, in a carport? Where are you at? Uh, the, the service was up on top of a mountain, and it okay. was like an open-air um Basketball court. It was okay. a basketball concrete court. had a roof over it, but it was open on the sides, open air thing. And then down at the bottom of the mountain was where the cabins were at. And they had double bunks, you know, throughout the cabin and stuff. And it was just guys from our church that was in the particular cabin that I was in. And the preacher is giving a message, or are they singing? I mean, you're saying the Lord's dealing with their heart. Yeah, what, what, what's was, happening? That was on, on the night services was the main services. And they would have two different youth groups get up there and sing, and they'd sing, you know, probably five or six songs each youth group. And uh, and then uh, Brother Danny Castle uh, would preach a message. And, and Brother Danny Castle ha- is very geared towards young people. And, okay. and so, you know, you won't find a better preacher as far as preaching a message towards young people mm-hmm. uh, to really get their eyes open, their hearts open, focused in on, on God and on things of God. And, so it was through the the singing, it kind of like softened my heart up, you know, seeing all these young people up there my age singing, you know, and tears flowing out of their eyes and testifying, telling me how good God's been, how excited I are to serve Him. And here right. I am sitting there thinking, I've been brought up all this in all my life, but I don't have that relationship with the Lord like they have. Like they have. And so I, I was kind of, for lack of a better way of putting it, I was almost jealous of them. Okay. You know, because they had something that I didn't have. Right. And... Uh, and you you literally saw that, yeah. I mean, it was just it was in my face. I mean, right. where where our group was sitting, I was probably four or five rows from the front, and there was probably a thousand teenagers there. Oh my goodness! There was several church groups there at this camp. There was probably a thousand teenagers there. Okay. And so when you're seeing a thousand teenagers, and you know, say five hundred of them are you know excited, you know, shouting and praising the Lord, and you know, tears flowing out of their eyes and testifying about how good God's been to them, and some of them talking about how they're in Christian schools and how much of a blessing it is. And I'm thinking, man, you know, I, I've been in this all my life, but I don't mm-hmm. have this relationship that they have with the Lord. And so part of it maybe was the environment. Absolutely. Getting into an environment that allowed you to kind of look away from popular culture, what was going on in school and at home, and look at what was happening there. Absolutely. Some people would say oh, all, all it was done was you were taken out and put around the church atmosphere and you were just kind of going along with what everybody else was doing. No, it's more like I was taken out of the world and taken away from all the things that was distracting me right. and was able to get along with God and really see just how good God is and really could see what God could do with me and through me without having all these other distractions in my yeah, life. That's a, that's a big one, distraction yeah. right there. Wow. Okay, so distra- Okay, so you're in a better state. You're seeing these things happening. So what, what happens next? Uh, I think it was the Wednesday night church service. Uh, 
excuse me, Tuesday night church service. Okay. I went down to the altar again, and I, I knew then the Lord was dealing with my heart, you know, about something as far as ministry work. Okay. I, I wanted to, I felt like, you know what, I've dedicated most of my life to playing ball. I mm. put all my energy into that, and I was successful. Yeah. You know, but then I began to start really thinking while I was at camp, started really thinking about, you know what, there's a lot more things more important than ball. You know, it's okay. a temporary thing. You know, I, you know, and even at 15 years old at yeah. the time, I, you know, I was thinking to myself, you know, I'm not going to be able to play ball forever. I'm going to get old one of these days. That's, that's a pretty and, heavy thought for 15. And uh, so I got to thinking, you know, what's more important? Right. You know, and being in that atmosphere and being around those people and being there with my pastor and my youth mm. pastor and seeing how God's using them and was and blessing them and blessing our church. And uh, so I remember that Tuesday night I went down to the altar and I remember when we got done with the services, going back down the hill, I told one of my friends, uh, Jesse Fox, that was with us, that was in the youth group and was with me, was coming down the hill. And I remember telling him, I said, I said, Jesse, I said, man, I feel like the Lord's dealing with my heart about something, but I really, I'm not sure, you know, what it is. And I said, can you, can you pray with me? He said, absolutely. We got back down to our cabin and got inside the cabin and we just knelt down in the middle of the floor and I started praying and Jesse was, you know, there kneeled down beside me with his hand on my back and he was praying with me. And, you know, I wasn't paying attention to it because I was, you know, I was talking to the Lord. And, right. But uh, when we got done praying, I guess it was about a half hour later, I got through praying, I stood up and I looked around and the cabin was full of teenage boys on their oh, faces wow. praying and they were lying out the door and around the cabin. There was, and, and from our youth group, boys and girls, that's probably only about 15 or 16 of us that went. There's probably 50, 60 boys wow. in our cabin and around the cabin. So it was teenage boys from other church groups that was there praying with us. Right. And um, same thing happened again on Wednesday night. It's just like the Lord would not leave me alone, you know. Okay. I just felt like the Lord was really dealing my heart, you know, about serving him. So you, know, you felt like a, more faithful. You felt like a pull. You Absolutely. felt You felt like um, I mean, something that, that, that you couldn't avoid. Exactly. It was just... Uh, you know, I, I would pray, and then I think, okay, well, I'm good now. I'm right, good now. right. But it was like the next time I heard the preaching of God's word during the morning service or the evening service, it just like it was just that tug on my heart. Just the same way I felt when I got saved, that same tug on my heart that I knew I needed to get saved. I had that almost that same pull on my heart that I needed to be doing more for the Lord okay. than what I was doing. Like something you, that you couldn't ignore. Exactly. Okay. And I know, you know, I know it was the, the Holy Ghost of God tugging in my heart, leading me into a direction that I needed to go. And I remember on that, uh, so that was on Tuesday night in the cabin. On Wednesday night, went to the altar during the service. Altar filled up with lots of teenagers in the altar praying. And uh, I remember afterward going down the hill, talking to Jesse again. I told him, I said, brother, I said, I just, I don't know what it is. I feel like the Lord's calling me to do something, but I have no idea what it is. Okay. He said, well, let's pray about it. Again. Again. Okay. And uh, so out in front of our cabin was a, a floating dock uh, out in front on the water there. And uh, there was 32 young people on that dock. When we got through praying, the reason why we stopped praying was because some of us started getting wet because we were sinking that dock. Okay. <laughs> There's so many teenagers out there praying. Uh, but, man, I remember, boy, I was all excited. And uh, so, so, so you were, you were saying, okay, Jesse, pray with me again. You're praying on the dock and people are seeing you guys praying, walking up. Yeah. They yeah. come walking up and just started praying with us. Okay. And, uh, this is kind of night number four or five, three, three. three. Okay. Night, yeah. Okay. It's Wednesday night. All right. And Thursday night is when I surrendered to the Lord. 
to preach. And I said, Lord, I'm just going to, whatever it is that you'd have me to do, Lord, I'm, here I am. I surrender myself to you. Okay. And that was at 15, and I've been serving the Lord. I've been preaching the Word of God ever since. I'm okay. 31 years old now, so for over half my life, I've been preaching the Word of God. And you bring it back to that day. Absolutely. Absolutely. I thank God to this. Back then, 16 years ago, I never would have said this, but today I can, I can sit here today and say this. I thank God that I lost that ball, that ball game, that tournament. Yeah. Because if I hadn't lost that game, if my grandparents hadn't had the faith in the Lord that they had and went ahead and paid in advance, I mean, that was $45 for me and for my brother. So that was $90 they put up, and uh, they weren't rich people by any means. So yeah. that's a lot of money to possibly lose. Yeah. And, uh, but they had faith in the Lord that my brother and I were going to camp. Yeah. And that was, matter of fact, Brother Andy will tell you, that when we came, when we was going to camp, that he had a van load of, ki- of teenagers that didn't want to go to camp. He okay. said when he came back, he came back with three preachers <laughs> and a van load of people fired up for God. Right. And uh, it's amazing what God did through that camp because the church we were going to, Bright Light Baptist Church, uh, we were probably running maybe 60, 70 people on Sunday mornings. And, uh, man, the church really started growing after that. Young people got on fire for God. Bus ministry started really got started then mm-hmm. and um, the church ended up growing to about four to five hundred people in wow. attendance on Sunday mornings and uh, got really blessed and wasn't long after that uh, well a couple months after camp I got involved in the bus ministry okay and uh, man I recommend the bus ministry for any teenage person serving the Lord they so, able to get involved in a bus ministry okay walk me through that because that's not just riding the bus now you get back from camp and you're actually uh, helping with the people driving the bus? Right. When we what? got back from camp, you know, I'd made a commitment to the Lord. I right. promised the Lord I'm going to serve you. And so I was kind of looking for something that I could do at 15 years old. And so the bus ministry was just a couple months old at the church. And uh, what it is is they go on Saturdays and they knock on doors mm-hmm. and they invite kids, invite kids to come to church mm-hmm. um, and then go back on Sunday and pick them up, bring them to church. And I thought, well, you know what? That's how I got started going to church. You know, right. At Emmanuel was through a, through a bus ministry. I thought, man, I can't think of a better place to go. You know, it's kids and teenagers, and, and this is perfect. Yeah. So I went, and um, the, Brother Matthew Singleton, he was uh, pretty much the main one that was working the buses then. And uh, I went to him and asked him if I could help out, and he said, absolutely. And he didn't live too far from where I live, and uh, so he would come by and pick me up on Saturdays to take me to go out to Soul Winning and visiting to visit all the kids and then he'd come back by and pick me up on Sunday morning to take me to the church early so we could run the bus route right so you went and asked mm-hmm. I think that's kind of important too that it didn't just fall on your lap you went and asked yeah I went and asked I, yeah. I was wanting to do something and right. so I went to him and asked him I said brother can I help you he said absolutely I'm doing it by myself okay. and he was at the time right and uh, man it was through the bus ministry I, it gave me opportunity to really start preaching because uh, you'd get the kids on the bus, but we'd sing songs with them and everything. But you, you know, with so many songs you can sing, mm-hmm. you know, on a two-hour bus route one way, and you finally get tired of singing, and the kids get tired of singing. So yeah. the last fifteen minutes of the bus route on the way to the church uh, for Sunday morning service, uh, I would study and get me a little message up, and would preach it on the bus on the way to church. Okay, and uh, and then I got the opportunity. Like, to would go. you stand in the front of the bus? Yeah, or back I would of the stand. Bus? I would stand at the uh, at the stairwell. Okay. Uh, so really, this is this is like a big really school not supposed bus. To, right? Yeah, it's a big school bus. I right. think our bus at that time was a fifty-four passenger. Okay. And uh, and you would uh, preach from the 
from the stairwell to yeah. the kids to the kids okay. the girls sit on one side of the bus and the boys sat on the other right and uh and so i would preach and uh you know it was simple messages starting out because i'd never preached before but it was simple message starting out i'd preach you know you know things like along the lines of david and goliath or on creation mm-hmm. or you know the the death burial and resurrection of jesus but at that time you already knew that that was god's calling for your life. absolutely absolutely i knew that at camp okay that thursday night i said right. lord this is what you want me to do I'm going to do it. So you said, I'm going to do it, and then you went and started doing it. I went and started doing it. Okay. And, and the uh, bus started growing. bus started growing. Well, you know, that's easy to serve the Lord through the summertime when you're not in school. Yeah, I was going to ask about that, yeah. I started back to school. And and you went uh, to public school. Went to public school. Went to Kings Mountain High School. And and this was the late ni- mid-90s, yeah, early 2000s? 99 to 2000. Okay. 2000 would have been the next school year that I went in after I surrendered to preach. Okay, okay. And... Um, I was an entirely different kid. I wasn't a bad kid when I was in school. I never really got in any trouble or anything. Right. But I was, I would do well in class. Right. But I, in between classes, I was the kid that thought it was cool to cuss and, yeah. uh, you know, tell the dirty jokes and things like that. I did just enough not to get caught. Yeah. But just enough to, yeah. you know, I thought I was cool and, you know, and impress some other, right. you know, dumb kids. I know a few things uh, about that. Yeah. And, uh, but I was entirely different my right. sophomore year. Okay. Uh I was carrying three Bibles to school. <laughs> okay, three Bibles. Three Bibles. I had a oh. duffel bag that I carried. I didn't carry a backpack. And okay. so I laid my big King James Bible on top of my duffel bag. Okay. And uh, I carried a smaller uh, pocket-sized New Testament mm-hmm. uh, with my books under my arm from each class that I would go to. Mm-hmm. And I had a little New Testament I kept in my pocket. Now, let me let, let, try to figure this out here. So last year in the story here, you were the, trying to be the cool kid. Yeah. And then I'm thinking, what do the cool kids think of a guy with a duffel bag with three Bibles in it? They think I'm an idiot. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I got called all kinds of names. But of you still went. I still went. You had the self-perception to know, but you still went. Yeah. Okay. I still did it. And how did it? Uh, how did it feel? How did it go? I mean, you know what? You would think that maybe I would feel awkward and out right. of place, but I really didn't. I, I, I guess I, I don't know. I guess because I'd gotten so close to the Lord yeah. over that summer that I. I, you know, and it's not the case, I guess, with every person, but, right. you know, for me, it was, I was, I was at that point where I, I didn't care what anybody thought. Yeah. And, and, and some people have mentioned, like, I remember, uh, when I was in school, uh, a, a guy mentioned to me that, you know, being a Christian is kind of counterculture. Yeah. It's kind of the ultimate counterculture, ultimate alternative, because really you're totally different, separate from what the popular culture is teaching you. So I guess in that way, you can feel like you're doing your own thing. And and let me ask you this. Did you help anyone? Did you minister to people? Or did you just carry around those Bibles? No, no, no. I, I carried gospel tracts. And, uh, you know, the lockers had those little, I guess, those little slots. Yeah, in events, the yeah. vents. And uh, when I'd walk down the halls, I'd drop gospel tracts through those vents. And I'd leave them in the cafeteria on the table. When I'd go to the... Uh, to the bathroom, I would leave them on the sinks or on the on the tank, uh, on the back of the tank there on the toilet for people to, to get gospel tracts. And so through that, I got called all kinds of names, you know, Bible thumper, Bible mm-hmm. basher. I got called toilet boy because mm-hmm. I would leave gospel tracts in the bathroom. Right. Uh, but I got the chance to witness to quite a few of my friends. Uh, and uh, two of them, I remember in particular, there was two that got saved. Uh, one, I witnessed to him uh, for about two, two or three days, and he finally, right there, he... Uh, in the cafeteria, bowed his head, and he trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as his wow. Savior. And there was another friend of mine. His name was Jeff. And I remember I was sharing the gospel with him uh, outside of the school. My grandma always come pick me up from school. Okay. And uh, 
we were standing outside waiting for our rides, and I remember we were standing there at the, at the bushes there in front of the school, and I was witnessing to him, and I gave him a gospel track, and, uh, and he told me, he said, hey, he said, that's something for older people. He said, I'll worry about this when I get older. And right. I told him, I said, Jeff, I said, you, you realize that you're not promised tomorrow. Okay. And I said, you know, young people, people our age die all the time. And, and did uh, you feel a sense of urgency? Or? I did. Okay. I did. And, and, you know, I didn't know why I felt that sense of urgency, but I felt like he needed to hear this. All right. And he came back to school the next day, told me, he said, Mike, he said, I couldn't sleep last night because of all the things you told me. He said, no, I know you're right. And he said, I, I want to trust the Lord as my Savior. And so I went down Romans Road with him, and he understood the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And he asked the Lord to come to his heart and save him. What I didn't know, and this is why I felt the sense of urgency that day, okay, was you never know when you're witnessing to somebody who else may be listening in that you have no idea may be listening in. Hmm. There was a, a a freshman, a young black boy, he was a year younger than, than Jeff and I, was standing behind us. Okay. And uh, he heard everything I was telling Jeff. Right. Well, he, and I know this because the first guy that I wanted to Lord at school, Chris, knew this kid and I think it was three or four days later after that that I'd shared this with Jeff outside the school mm-hmm. that that young black boy his dad shot and killed him oh no yeah shot and killed him what I found out though was that he had heard me share the gospel with Jeff right and had went to church that Wednesday night with his grandmother right and it just so happened his pastor was preaching a gospel message and he went down to the altar and got saved Oh and then just a few days later, his dad, I don't know what the situation was, but he was going out the door and his dad had fired a shotgun. I don't know if it was an accident or what, but he got hit and he killed him instantly. And, you know, I thank God that this day, Lord Jesus Christ saved that boy, not right, me. Right. But I, I thank God that I took that opportunity and felt that urgency that I needed to share this with Jeff, but I had no idea. But the Lord knew what he was doing. Had no idea that this, this young black boy this freshman was going to be standing behind us and listening in on everything that I was telling Jeff. Wow. And it just, Lord knows exactly what he's doing. Wow, man, that's deep. So, and and so was it like these interactions that kept fueling you to keep going that motivated you to stay the course? Because I'm imagining that there's somebody asking you to go play baseball. There's someone asking you to come to this party. There's someone asking you to smoke this or drink this. I mean, it's high school. So. Yeah. I, well, you know, come up time for baseball season again. And so I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to – I like playing baseball. I'm going to try out. Right. And so I remember I went for the uh, – you know, of course, I'd played my freshman year. And so I knew that I was going to make the team. You know, wasn't, wasn't worried about that. But I, So I went to the, uh, the early spring um, conditioning, you know, weightlifting and conditioning and stuff. Uh, that they have before uh, the trials and practice and everything. And I think I went to about a week's worth of conditioning, and the desire to play ball was not there anymore. Wow. I'd been playing from the time I was five years old to I was 15, you know, played in front of scouts, played mm-hmm. for a scout. Is uh, it like same coach and everything? Yeah, same high school coach, everything. Wow. And, uh, you know, they they had high hopes for me. They were actually going to move me to first base uh, and uh, – was talks of maybe some scouts coming to see in some of our games that year, you know, and so, but the desire was gone. And I know why the desire was gone. Right. Because it was uh, so strong just a year ago. Yeah. But I'd made a commitment to the Lord and, and, uh, was sold out to the Lord. And I knew that that's not where I needed to be anymore. 
Okay. And, uh, of course, my dad was very upset with me. You know, right. You know, my dad had put all this time and effort and money mm-hmm. uh, in, into me playing ball all these years. And, you know, he was there sitting behind the Yankee scout right. when he wrote my name down at that tournament, you know, like a year beforehand. And, um, you know, so my dad was upset with me. He wasn't in church at the time either. Right. Let me ask you this, because uh, your grandfather, we call him uh, Papa, mm-hmm. uh, he was also a baseball fan, right? Yes. So how did he feel about this decision? He was proud of me. Okay. He said, he told me, son, he said, I'm going to miss seeing you play ball. He said, but I'd rather see you serving the Lord. And he said, I'd rather sit and listen to you preach mm-hmm. than see you play any ball game. Okay. And, uh, you know, I, I love my dad with all my heart. But my grandpa was my hero. Yeah, you know, and he was one that won me to the Lord. He mm-hmm. was the one that just taught you know taught me a lot about the Bible, you know, and uh, and he always supported me in everything that I did, especially when it comes to the preaching. Right, and and he was saved later on in life, wasn't he? He was. I think he was in his early to mid forties when he got saved. Okay, so you end up leaving baseball, right? Mm-hmm. Saying I'm not going to play. Yeah, I was done. Okay. And then the rest of high school, you continued to minister to, to kids, right? I did. Uh, I continued to witness. Uh, I remember uh, I took – Kings Mountain was one of those few schools that had uh, offered Bible courses. Mm-hmm. You know, it was as an elective, of course. So, uh, so a public high school offered a Bible course. Yeah, I don't think they offer, I don't <laughs> yeah. think they offer it anymore. Oh, my goodness. Uh, it was uh, – they had Old Testament, New Testament survey, right, uh, and the world religions, right. They used the Bible to kind of compare the world religions in those classes. And the teacher in that class, Mr. Littlejohn, uh, I think he was an assistant pastor at one of the churches in Kings Mountain. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, he was he also taught other history classes as well, right. Uh, but I remember being in that class, and one of the requirements was we had to give a, uh, a devotion before class. Now our classes, we had hour and a half class periods. Okay, and. So we was required every student at least once had to give at least a 10-minute devotion in the class. Okay. Well, come time for me to do my devotion, and I don't know how to do a devotion. Right. All I know how to do is preach. Right. And so I got up there with my, my three-point outline, and I just started preaching. I read it back and let it rip. <laughs> right. And uh, Mr. Little John did not stop me. Okay. matter of fact, he sat over his desk and shouted me on. All right. And, uh, <laughs> What in, I did, in a public in school. In a public school. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Okay. Uh, the kids in the in my class referred to me as the pastor in, mm. my, in my Bible class. Okay. What I didn't know was that the office, the main office, was mm-hmm. trying to call Mr. Little John and let him know he had a phone call. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, we didn't hear him call in over the intercom in the class because I was preaching. Right. And Mr. Little John was shouting. And right. uh, so I preached probably about 30 minutes, and uh, which I don't preach 30 minutes now. Wish everybody, I bet everybody in the church wishes I wish I yep. preached 30 minutes. Yep. Um, but the lady in the office, apparently she's a Christian, mm-hmm. so she left it on and turned the volume up in the office so everybody in the office could hear me <laughs> preach. She thought it was Mr. Littlejohn preaching. She didn't right. know it was one of the students, and um, and that was a blessing. Yes, because, a blessing. You know, because you know some of the you know the faculty at the school got to hear the gospel. You know, right. I don't know their testimonies. I didn't know if you know kind of you don't really get an opportunity to witness to the faculty members when you're a student. You, no. know, you get to witness to your classmates, but yeah. not the faculty. So I had an opportunity there to preach the gospel. And the faculty members get to hear it. And it's funny how when God leads you somewhere, he doesn't leave you alone. You no. know, he provides these uh, uh, ways of support to show Absolutely. you you're traveling down the right path. Right. And that's what I'm hearing uh, here. So you uh, finished high school. I did. And uh, you went to the Bahamas and went on a two-year vacation, right? No. 
Okay, what happened next? Uh, well, when I graduated high school, the following week I'd actually had – I was going – taking Bible college classes while I was in uh, high school. Right. So when I graduated high school, the following week, I had earned enough credits to get my associate of theology degree. Oh, so wow. So I was doing that in the evening time uh, okay. while I was still in high school. Okay. Uh, while I was in high school – uh, when I was 16, I went on my first missions trip to okay. Grenada. Right. So, yeah, I guess maybe you could say the Bahamas, but I was still in high school. <laughs> right, right. Uh, our church had went on a missions trip to Grenada, and I was 16. And uh, so I went. I went without my parents or any right. of my family the first time I went. And uh, we went there and, and preached in Grenada and uh, went soul winning every day. And I think there was 32 of us, I think, that went on that trip. Mm-hmm. And uh, we saw 157 people get No, 215 people get saved that first trip. And I uh, preached in a little fishing village. They said no white man would ever preach in mm. a little fishing village of Guav mm. uh, in Grenada. And you were 16? 16. And I got some pictures and stuff of me street preaching there in Guav. And, uh, mm. boy, that was an experience. And I loved it there. Uh, we went back the following year when I was 17. Mm. And my grandparents and my brother went with me this time. And mm. uh, I think we saw 157 people get saved. And in that same fishing village that they said no white man would ever preach in, yeah, uh, we actually preached there and established Bright Light Baptist Church at Guav. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, so then a few years later on, I went and preached there again a third time. Okay. Uh, but I went with just a couple other preachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right after I finished high school, uh, I graduated on a Friday. And on Monday, I went to work full time. Okay. Uh, still plant in Charlotte where my right. dad and my grandpa worked. Uh, and the reason why I went to work full time uh, was because I got engaged while in high school. Okay. I don't recommend that, by the way, <laughs> okay. for, for most people. All right. Um, but uh, and my, it, it, tell me a little bit about that because you were the ladies' man uh, before when you tried to go to camp. No, no, no. I was trying to be the <laughs> right, ladies' right. man. Okay. I know all about that. It was not successful. Right. It's kind of hard. Uh, so you, how did you meet uh, Acela? Uh, met her through the bus ministry. Okay. Uh, our pastor... Uh, his sister mm-hmm. uh, worked for Web Street School. It's a school in Gastonia, uh, in Gaston County, that caters to uh, handicapped children. Okay. And uh, she had a CDL license and drove a bus for that school. Mm-hmm. Well, the bus driver for my bus at the church was going to be on vacation, and I needed a, a fill-in driver for that Sunday. And so the preacher's sister, Angela, was going to fill in and drive the bus. And Isela, her niece, mm-hmm. uh came along with her on the bus. Okay. And that's how I met her. Had no idea we went to the same school or anything like that. Just just met her on the bus and got talking to her a little bit on the bus, and I really liked her. Okay. And um, one thing led to another. Uh, our youth group was singing uh, at North Gaston High School. There was another preacher uh, that held a – that rented their auditorium out for a Friday and a Saturday night. Okay. Uh, Brother Chris Hazlett, and he was yeah. preaching a big youth rally over there. Okay. Well, Isela – got saved that Friday night at the youth rally. Okay, so when you were on the bus and you met her, she hadn't been saved yet. Yeah, she hadn't been saved right. yet. Okay. And, you know, so I was talking to her, but I didn't know she wasn't saved. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we were just talking a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then that's when I realized, hey, we go to the same school. So I'd see her at school. And, I'd, of course, mm-hmm. when she'd go to one class that I'd be coming out of, I'd wave at her and smile and right. about my business. But I saw her at that youth rally. She went down to the altar and she got saved. But that okay. was on a Friday night. Well, on that Sunday morning at church... Our youth group was singing, and she got up there in the youth group and sang with us, and she mm-hmm. testified. And I thought, man, she got saved on Friday night, and on Sunday morning she's testifying before the church <laughs> of 350 people. That's my kind of girl. Right, right. So 
that night. And she was, you guys were 16, 17? 16. Okay, 16. wow, wow. 16, yeah, I think I had just turned 17. She was still 16. Okay, all right. And uh, that night I was talking to her and I asked her, you know, we, you know, wanted to make, basically, I would, man, I was real chicken. I basically, the way, the way I said it was, you want to make this a relationship type thing? <laughs> okay. And uh, she, she said, yes, I do. So, and we've been together ever since. I actually right. proposed to her in our, our Sunday school class. Okay. Um, she, you know, first she didn't say anything. She right. was just smiling and blushing. <laughs> and I said, well, will you? And she right. said, yes, I will. So, okay. Um, but, so you were engaged. You finished high school. Mm-hmm. And you don't go on vacation. No. I go straight to work. Okay. And because, uh, you know. Preacher Reese always used to tell me, no no money, no honey. So yeah. I figured, hey, i got to have some yeah. money if I'm going to keep her. Yeah. And uh, so I went to work, and uh, uh, after about a month and a half, two months, I moved out on my own. Well, three months. I moved out on my own, got a okay. place of my own. And uh, as soon as she finished, she was a year behind me in school. Mm-hmm. She graduated uh, in May mm-hmm. of 2003. In June, we got married. Okay. What kind of work were you doing? I was working in the steel plant. I was a CNC machine operator. Okay. But I was still involved in the ministry. Okay. Uh, uh, so tell me about that time in your life when you're still involved in the ministry and you're also working, uh, what, 12-hour shifts? Or uh, Started out as 10s mm-hmm. and then it got to be where it was 12-hour shifts. Okay. How many days? Uh, five to six days a week. Okay. So Mostly five days a week at that time. Okay. So 50, 60 hours a week. Yeah. And then uh, what kind of ministry work were you doing when you're not there? Uh, well, still involved in the bus ministry and... Uh, it was around that time that uh, my wife and I, well, she was my fiance at that right. time, uh, started the Spanish church at Bright Light. My wife is from Mexico originally. Okay. Uh, she moved to the U.S. when she was eight. And uh, she actually, she come to me one day when we was out knocking on doors on Saturday visiting for a bus route. Uh, she said, I, I want to visit some people to speak Spanish so I can witness to them in Spanish. I said, Sounds great to me. Mm-hmm. Well, we did. And there was some of the kids that, Wanted to come to church, mm-hmm. but there was some of them that we picked up that didn't speak much English. Right. So there had to be a place provided for them for them to, to learn the Bible and to grow. Sure. And so uh, Brother Buster Fox, who was the Sunday school superintendent at Bright Light, you know, said, well, hey, we got an extra classroom. We can, you know, start a Spanish Sunday school class. You can teach it, and Estella can translate for you. Okay. Said, okay, sounds good to me, brother. So let's do it. Well, mm-hmm. it started growing. Right. And within, I don't know, a month or two, we ended up having, you know, starting the Spanish church at Bright Light. Okay. So, and there's a big Hispanic population here yeah, in... Especially uh, in Gaston County. Gaston County, North Carolina, Cleveland County, North Carolina. So that was uh, much needed. And you start doing that. So would you, if they don't speak a lot of English, are you uh, preaching in Spanish or how's that working? Starting out, no. Uh, I would preach, mm-hmm. you know, like I'd say a sentence or two in English and my wife would translate for me. And that's how we would do it and translated everything. But then it wasn't long after that, there was a, a gentleman uh, from Guatemala that lived here, and his name was, was Brother Carlos. And uh, he started coming to the church and mm-hmm. saw what we were doing. He was, I was, you know, around 18, 19, 20 years old, and uh, he was in his 40s. And, uh, you know, he'd been in church ministry all his life, and, of course, it was Spanish ministry. Right. And he played a guitar and everything, and he was a preacher, too. And so he came on and, and helped us. So he started doing a lot of the translating. And okay. uh, then we ended up splitting it up into two Sunday school classes, having a children's class and an adult class. And he started teaching the adult class. And, of course, I continued to teach the children's class. So as this ministry grew, how many hours a week would you say you worked on it? I was probably working 50, 55 hours a week on my job. And I was probably putting at least 30 hours a week into the bus ministry and Spanish church together. 
So that that's a lot. A lot. Okay. Thank God my wife was on board with me and did everything with me. Right. Okay. And so how long did you end up working at, at Steel Fab? Let's see. I started working there in 2002 and 12 years, about 12, 12 and a half years. Okay. There. So 12, 12 and a half years, pretty much you carried on this kind of schedule. Yes. And at some point, the Spanish church... Uh, had grown pretty big, um, and there was an opportunity for you to go and start your own church, or no? Uh, the Spanish church was up and down, up and okay. down, up and down. It was at one point we got up to close to a hundred people, mm-hmm. uh, but you know it, it's sad, but it's just the way it is. Um, there was some of the folks who had in church; it was illegal, and they got caught driving with, you know, right driver fake driver's license or things of that nature, and would be deported. And of course, yeah. then their family would move back and. Right. It was just constant up and down thing, and uh, but we did it for ten years, okay. and uh, and so we what, reached a lot of teenagers. We didn't right. really get a whole lot of adults, but we made an impact on a lot of young people's lives over the years. So, at what point did you feel the Lord calling you to start your own ministry? Because I'm thinking you're working all the time. You got the Spanish church going. Uh, you would think you'd just be exhausted, but instead you decided to start a church. Yeah, uh, probably about. Eight years into the Spanish church was really when I felt the Lord really start tugging at my heart about stepping out by faith and starting a church. And he was laying Kings Mountain on my heart because uh, I, I lived in Kings Mountain all my life. And I got a lot of family that live here. And a lot of them at the time, you know, were lost on their way to hell. And I really didn't, there's a lot of good churches in the area, but I really didn't know of any that actually had went to their house, knocked on their door, invited them to church. And, you know, I just felt that, needed if there was family members of mine that never had churches come and knock on their door then i wonder how many other people were out there that nobody's ever knocked on their door right and i lived in kings mountain but i was doing all my ministry work in an entirely different county and for those that don't live in kings mountain they may not realize that there there are a lot of churches here so yes. so it's not just you're saying people didn't reach out to them and there's no churches there are a lot of churches here but people still weren't reaching like your family and people that you knew. Right. And so it felt like a good time to do it. Right. And I, I prayed about it, you know, and prayed about it for quite a while, long time. Matter of fact, I was praying about it and my wife, nobody else in my family knew I was praying about it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it just worked out right. Uh, I remember when I really started heavily praying about it was about six months before we actually started Glory Bound Baptist Church, when okay. I actually stepped out by faith. And I remember... And you were, what, 25, 26? Uh, 27, 28. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, and I remember, as one day my brother called me up, and he said, Mike, he said, I don't know why, he said, but I passed by this little church building in Kings Mountain. And uh, he said, they had a for rent sign out front. And he said, I don't know why, he said, but I turned around and I went back and I wrote the number down he said, and I'm going to give you the number. He said, I don't know why. He said, I just felt like this is what the Lord wanted me to do. He had no idea I was praying about starting a church in Kings Mountain. And right. where this church sat literally was just across the city limits line into Kings Mountain. It yeah. sat right on the city limit line. Yeah, there's like a sign from the yeah, city limit. ran right through you... the backyard of the church. Right, okay. And so your brother calls you. Brother you're calls already you. praying about this. Yeah. Maybe at work you're in a routine. I mean, are you in a point where you're coming home, you're tired, but you're you're not worried about it or... Because it's a pretty big deal to start a church, so I'm trying to think yeah. of what was going through your mind. Yeah. Well, you just felt like you had to do it. I, I felt like I had to do it. Okay. I mean, I, you know, being in your, in your mid to late 20s, 
you know, you got a lot of energy. Yeah. And my, my wife is always back and supporting me in everything right. that I, I do for the Lord. And, she's and at the time, she wasn't working. So No, she okay. wasn't working. And, right. uh, I, and we had had our first son. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that time, he was about three years old. Okay. And, uh, uh, and we had just recently uh, had taken in a young man, a uh, teenage boy, that we had met through our Spanish church. Okay. Uh, whose parents had one lived in Winston-Salem, the other one lived in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he wanted to live with us. And, uh, and so he was like uh, a bu- uh, helping you with the bus or he was on the bus or I mean. We, we met him through the bus ministry in our Spanish right. church and. Uh, and then we got real close with him. We mm-hmm. took him in one summer, uh, one summer okay. when he was younger and had a little trouble. And mm-hmm. Lord called him to preach that summer at camp, just like okay. the Lord did with me. And um, you know, so we got real close with him. Well, when he had to move away to Pennsylvania with his dad, he wanted to come back with us very bad. Right. And uh, he kept asking his dad and kept asking his dad. He said, "Can I move in with preacher Mike?" And finally, his dad said, "If that's what you want, and son, that's what I'll do." Right. So his dad brought him down here from Pennsylvania and signed guardianship over to, to my wife and I. Okay. And he's been with us ever since. Okay. Uh, you know, so I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm young. I've got a young family. Right. You know, uh, Lord really laying on my heart. This door, I mean, I didn't tell anybody about this, but here mm-hmm. the Lord's laid on my brother's heart for a number. Okay. So, so there really was a little bit of faith there where you just felt like I have to take this step of faith. Absolutely. Okay. And the next day after my brother gave me that number and told me where it was at, I rode by the, that church and sat in the parking lot, looked at the building for a little bit, and I prayed. And I said, Lord, if this is your will, then let everything line up. Lord, if it's your will, then it's going to work. Okay. And um, I remember that following weekend, I went and talked to, to Brother Andy. He's pastor of God Ken Baptist Church. I went right. and talked to him, and I asked him, you know, I said, Brother, I need some advice. I said, just tell me, you know, let me know, am I crazy or not? And I told mm-hmm. him, you know what the Lord was laying on my heart? And he said, no, brother. He said, I don't think you're crazy at all. He said, go for it. He said, if you feel like that's the Lord's will, he said, go for it. Okay. So that was on that Sunday morning. That Sunday evening, uh, I went to my pastor, and I told my pastor, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but I felt like the Lord was laying on my heart, and I told okay. him that I was going to be resigning my positions at the church and was going to pursue pursue this. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, and that was like a week after John saw the building or a couple of days? Yeah, about a couple of days. Okay. And um, so I told told my pastor at Sunday night that I was going to do that. On Monday, I went. I took a day off of work, and I went and met the man that was the landlord over the building. Right. And uh, he told me that rent was going to be $500 a month for the building. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking, well, I don't have $500. Right. Where's this money going to come from? You right. Know, but, Lord, if this is your will, it's going to work out. And uh, he told me, he said, there's another preacher looking at this building. And he said, I said, oh, so he's got it locked in? And he told me, said, no, sir. He said, it's first come, first serve. Mm-hmm. He said, the first one that comes up with a down payment gets the building. Okay. So it was $500 down. Yeah, $500 down. Then, okay. And $500 right. first month. So I had to have $1,000. Okay. So I'm thinking to myself. And you didn't have that. I had $1,000. Right. Man, I didn't. I was lucky to have $20. Okay. You know? uh, but that was on Monday. And uh, we prayed about it. Well, Tuesday, I sent a text message out to some my family and some of my friends and told them, I said, look, this is what I've been praying about. This is what I'm, I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found a building, you know, I, y'all help me pray about it. Well, instead of people praying about it, people started texting back. Well, I pledge a hundred. Well, I'll give you 150. I'll give you 200. I'll give you 50. And, uh, I don't remember how much money was raised that way, but okay. on, on Wednesday I went to church to the mm-hmm. church was going to at bright light. And I stood before the church that night and formally resigned before the church and mm-hmm. told them that I, 
that I was going to be, you know, Lord laid on my heart to start a church and that I wouldn't be doing it right down the road from the from the church I right. was going to, but it was in a different county. Yeah. And uh, and I didn't say where because I didn't want anybody to feel, you know, like yeah. that would want to follow me and that caused right. problems in the church I was going to. And, uh, well, after the service, you know, they had me come down to the front, you know, for people to come out and shake my hand. Right, tell sure. Tell me they can miss me. Because you were there. Stuff. Yeah, I was there. A long time. Yeah, 15, 16 years, yeah. something like that. Yeah. 13 years. And uh, as folks was coming by, I was surprised as folks were coming by and shaking my hand. There was $5 bills in their hands, $20 mm-hmm. bills in their hands. Well, after Wednesday night service, when everybody was, once it was all said and done, I got to looking at all the money that had been given to me through the pledges. And then that Wednesday night, and we had like $1,200. Wow. And uh, so I went and met the man that Thursday evening when I got off of, got off of work. And he prorated the month because it was kind of towards the middle of the month. Right. And uh, so that made it not quite as much. You know, I mm-hmm. think it was like 800 and something dollars, something like that. So we had a couple hundred dollars left. Well, on that Friday, this is how quick all this, that's how yeah. I know it was God's will. Yeah. And we're going from Wednesday, a number being given to me, nobody knew I was praying about it. Right. So here we are, you know, what, eight, nine days later. Yeah. And I'm getting off of work early mm-hmm. to go get the power and water turned on to this building. Wow. And I go, and I'm thinking, okay, I hope we got enough money to get all this, you know, get all the utilities turned on. And we had, and I lie to you, not exactly to the penny, because where he prorated the month, mm-hmm. exactly to the penny what we needed to get all the utilities turned on. Wow. So they came out that Friday afternoon and turned all, you know, the water, the gas, all that stuff on. Mm-hmm. And Saturday morning, mm-hmm. uh, we met there, and it was my family and a few others that, you know, it always told me, hey, Mike, you ever start a church, I'll be there. Right. And some of them wasn't even going to church. Right, you know? right. So we met there on that Saturday to kind of clean the church building and, you know, get it ready for Sunday morning service. Now, keep in mind, we had no song books. Right. No equipment. Yeah. No chairs. All we had was just a few of us and an empty building. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I sent a text out to some of my friends that I went to church with at Bright Light, and I sent a text out to Brother Randy, uh, the pastor at God Can. Mm-hmm. And and all I said, you know, I didn't ask him for anything. I just said, well, y'all please be praying for us. We're going to start church service tomorrow morning. We have no songbooks, chairs, or anything. So y'all just be praying that yeah. God will provide. Well, next thing I know, a friend of mine from Bright Light, uh, he was going to Bright Light at the time, uh, Brother Kelly Crotz called me up and said, look, brother, I've got uh, I got 30 chairs, 30 straight back wooden chairs that you can have for as long as you need them. Right. And I said, well, I appreciate it. And I, I said, I'll come get them. He said, no, he said, I'm going to load them up on my trailer and bring them to you. Okay. So, you know, an hour or so later here, he comes pulling in the parking lot with 30 wooden chairs. Mm-hmm. Brother Randy calls me mm-hmm. and he says, brother, if you send somebody over here to my church building, I'll give you some of our uh, song books. Okay. I said, all right. So these so are I, people from other churches. Yeah, from other churches. Yeah. So I, I sent Brother Anthony, which is a young man that I've known ever since he was eight years old. Right. Uh, also from the bus ministry. Also, yeah. also from the bus yeah. ministry. I kind of looked at him as my son, too, because yeah. he, he you know, spent pretty much most of his weekends at my house with me and my wife. Right. Gave him his first Christmas, his first Thanksgiving. Yeah. All these things. He was practically like, like our son. Right. So I told Brother Anthony, I said, run over Brother Randy's church real quick. And I said, go get those songbooks. I was expecting to be like 10 songbooks. Right. Brother Kelly came, gave us 30 wooden straight back chairs. Okay. Brother Andy gave us 30 songbooks. Okay. Sunday morning service, we had 30 people. <laughs> okay. Wow. So wow. God knows exactly what he's doing. And yeah. 
So that was in October of 2012. Okay. And uh, here we are in September 2015. We're yeah. in our second church building. Yeah, so we it's just about the, three years. Yeah, we've outgrew the first building. Okay. And we're in our second building. Okay. Uh, and the Lord's really blessing. We've, uh, we've got a church van. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Lord's allowed us to raise the money for a bus. And yeah. we're, Lord willing, we're fixing to get a driver for that bus That's and right. get it on the road and start picking up uh, more kids. Mm-hmm. Um Lord's really blessed, and it okay. all just comes from stepping out by faith and trusting Him, and I yeah. wouldn't change a thing. Let me ask you that. Yeah, you say that uh, you wouldn't change anything. So, you know, you took that step of faith way back when you were, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old. You haven't gone back. How do you feel now? I mean, in your heart, I mean, in, in uh, your soul, are you happy? Oh, man, I'm, I'm as happy as I can be. Okay, because you're no longer working, right? No, I, um, now I... I Resigned from my job uh, about 14 months ago. Okay, so you're full-time. Full-time at the church. church. Make nowhere near the amount of money I was right. on my job. I was making probably sixty to $70,000 a year on my job. But you're happy. But I'm happy. Okay, why? Well, because I'm doing exactly what God's called me to do. Money's not everything. And I okay. think that's what a lot of people, they get they get their mindset on, I've got to have X amount of dollars to survive. Right. And, you know, it's not the case. All I need is the Lord to survive. Right. And, I mean, granted, there's some things that I would like to be able to go do with my family that sometimes we can't do. But mm-hmm. uh, my bills are paid. Yeah. My family is fed. I mean, shoot, we just went on vacation uh, and really didn't cost us anything. That yeah. was Anthony. Yeah, that, same, yeah the same, same kid same that, kid I, that you, I've known since eight years old and yeah. practically like my son paid for me and my wife to go on vacation right. with him. Yeah, so so had a wonderful time. And so, you know, where God guides, he provides. I've heard that all my life. Preacher mm-hmm. Reese used to say that. I've heard other preachers say it, where God guides, he provides. And it may not be what we think we need, mm-hmm. but it's always exactly what we need. So for your transformation, it seems like you heard the call and you just submitted to it. Yeah. For those that are listening, maybe they heard the call and didn't, or maybe they never heard the call. What advice do you have to them? I mean, is it too late, man? I mean, No. The Bible says that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. I believe once God's called you to do something, then that call is there, okay. Okay, and if they've if they've been running from it, or say they had taken part in doing what God called them doing and have backed away from it, yeah, it's never too late. I, I believe that I believe that God is a God of second chances. You know, you know the Bible talks about how He's long suffering, and uh, you know I, I believe that if somebody's listening to this, I don't believe in coincidences or accidents either. I believe that God allows things to happen for a reason. And whoever's listening to this may be, may be in that situation where they're feeling like God's calling them, then they can listen to this and say, hey, you know what, if this guy can do it, then I can step out by faith and do it too. And or if it's somebody that's listening to, to this and says, you know what, I've been running for a long time. I, my advice is surrender. You'll never be happy and never have peace until you do. My life's verse. A lot of people have their life's verse. A lot of preachers, their life's verses have have to do with the gospel or, or you know, about preaching the word of God. Mine's Isaiah 26, 3. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. You trust in God and put your faith in him, you'll have peace in your life. As long as you run from God, you'll never have that, that peace in your life. No, do I have everything that I could have had if I'd continued to play ball? Who knows? I, I could have played college ball and could have gotten a, a free ride to college and got a you know an education and could have been been an engineer or something or who knows I could have played pro ball I don't know and could have had a good contract you know made lots of money 
but I decided to go the route that God laid out for me versus those other routes. No, the money, the fighting, you know, the, the, the riches are not there, but man, I'm rich in the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm storing up treasures in heaven where it really matters. And then do you lose sleep over that? I mean, do you think, oh man, what if, what if, what if? No. No, matter of fact, uh, uh, youth camp, Two summers ago, I was preaching at our youth camp, which right. is it, so, which so is we insane. Do it. So this church, yeah. Glory Bound, does a youth camp. Yes, exactly like the youth camp that I went to when I was a teenager. Yeah. And instead of me being the teenager sitting there, God dealing with the heart, and now I'm the one standing up and preaching, right, to teenagers. And uh, but two uh, youth camps ago, I preached a message, and I told Sam, the the boy we took in through the bus ministry in Spanish church, my he's my son. Yeah. Uh, he's 19 years old now fixing okay. he'll be 20, 20 in uh, next month and is he involved in the church he's uh the choir director uh and the uh junior class sunday school teacher okay um but i told him i said sam i'm excited about preaching this message at camp and this was two years ago yeah i said in this message i'm going to preach i could probably preach it again but i'll never be able to preach it the same way that i'm going to preach it at camp right and he said well what is it and i said I, i'm not going to tell you you have to wait and see and it was eating him up because he wanted to know and I, I, I preached a message along the lines of uh, getting distractions out of the way. Right. And I took every single trophy that I had won over the years of playing baseball, including state championship plaques and right. things like that. And as I was preaching, I'd pick them up and slam them on the ground and shatter them into a bunch of pieces. But you know what? The altar flooded that night yeah. because that visual of people seeing me taking probably my most prized possessions and shattering them on the ground and saying, look, they mean nothing anymore. Mm. The Lord Jesus Christ is what's most important. And that goes back to changing that definition of success from money and career or whatever else. To pleasing God. That's good stuff, man. And that's all. That's what it's all about. As long as you're pleasing God. You know, some people would say, well, well look at your church. Yeah. No, our church, you know, Glory Mountain Baptist Church, it's a, it's a young church. We're not even three years old yet. But, right. And no, it's not the largest church in Kings Mountain. I mean, on an average Sunday, we probably run average 50 people on a Sunday morning. Pick up a few dozen kids, 15, Yeah, 16. 15, 15, 16 kids on their church van. And, you know, some people will look at it and say, well, that's not a successful church. And I look at it and say, absolutely it is. There's people getting saved. Mm-hmm. You know, God's here. We're making a difference in the lives of, of those around us. I mean, our church, you know, I mean, I, I can't think of a church that's our size that has as many ministries reaching out into the community like our church. I mean, uh, matter of fact, just right before we started recording this, we were doing our, our food drive. We do once a month. Uh, and it's where we make up bags of groceries and give out to people in the community. They come to the church. They get a bag of groceries, and along with that bag of groceries is a gospel track in that bag. So we're getting the gospel out. We're we're helping them. We've been involved in the homeless ministries. We've uh, we've got a nursing home ministry. We've got our bus ministry. We've got uh, our youth ministry that's really growing right now. I mean, we got a youth night coming up next week, and the estimated number right now for people to come for youth night is right at forty five. Which is huge because our yeah. church runs about fifty. Yeah, you know, so we're got potential well, of having a lot of young people coming and visiting that maybe could come to the church. Yeah. So I, I'm looking at a church that's growing. It may be a steady growth, which is good because yeah. when we grow steadily, we'll be able to handle that growth, and this church will continue to grow. And so for you, you feel like God's provided what you need. Absolutely, I don't regret a thing in the world. Well, I think that's good, man. Um, anything else? No, other than if somebody's listening to this and they're fighting within it, give it, give it, give it to God. 
You'll never go wrong trusting the Lord. I was scared to death when we started Glory Bound. I was scared to death because I thought to myself, you know, how am I going to be able to handle my, what, what if it doesn't work? And right. I make this commitment to rent this building for a year because I had a one-year lease agreement on it when we started. Well, I'm committed. My name, my name's on the contract. Yeah. You know, I, I'm committed to this. Well, am I going to be able to pay my bills at home and pay these church bills if the church is not successful? Right. I was very scared. Yeah, and, uh, but we stepped out, and every month when the bills come due, the Lord has provided. Yeah. The Lord's provided enough for me to make a very small salary, but mm-hmm. it's enough to get my family by, mm-hmm. and the church bills are paid, and the church is growing. And so you can never, you can't outgive God. And the best thing, you know, I always tell people this all the time is, uh, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ died for us. The very least that we can do is live for him. Well, I can't think of anything, but we'll never be able to repay what Jesus Christ has done for us. But I can't think of anything better to give back to the Lord than yourself. Yeah. He died for you, so give that life right back to him. And when you do that, that gives you personal fulfillment, which goes back to your life first. Absolutely. That was awesome, man. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you. Wow. That's exciting. It was really great to hear what God is doing in Pastor Mike Rhodes' life. He is living by faith and he's living successfully by following God's plan for his life. Friend, if you enjoyed this, make sure that you're right with God. If you're not right with God, right now is the chance that you have to get right with God. Just ask Jesus to come into your heart. And if you've already done that and you've maybe grown cold in the Lord or have gotten distracted by worldly things or this, all these things that life can throw at you, why not take today as the day that you decide to make a change and follow Jesus? This has been Transformation. I'm your host, Clark Covington. I'll see you next time.